saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Hey sis, welcome to Girl Good Nightmares, where we help you sleep in melanated peace with a spooky twist. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into the show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcasts at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading The Queen of Spades, a short story written by Alexander Pushkin in 1834. Alexander S. Pushkin was a Russian poet, novelist and playwright born in 1799. Pushkin's father was a member of the Russian noble family and his mother was the granddaughter of an African general, making him biracial. At age 15, he wrote his first poem and established himself in the literary community. He is now known to be the founder of modern Russian literature. He died in 1837 as a result of a duel between himself and the man that was allegedly having an affair with his wife. The Queen of Spades is the story of a Russian officer of German descent named Herman who learns of an old woman that knows secrets about winning at the card game Pharaoh. He begins a relationship with Lizaveta to gain access to the old woman who is not willing to reveal her secrets. The old woman dies and visits Herman in his dreams to tell him the winning cards. On his last bet, Herman is terrified to discover that he won slightly more than he had bargained for. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Chapter 3 Lizaveta was just taking off her shawl and her bonnet when the countess sent for her. She had the horses put in again. While two footmen were helping the old lady into the carriage, Lizaveta saw the young officer at her side. She felt him take her by the hand, lost her head, and found, when the young officer had walked away, that he had left a paper between her fingers. She hastily concealed it in her glove. During the whole of the drive, she neither saw nor heard. When they were in the carriage together, the Countess was in the habit of questioning Lizaveta perpetually. Who is that man that bowed to us? What is the name of this bridge? What is there written on that signboard? Lizaveta now gave the most absurd answers and was accordingly scolded by the Countess. What is the matter with you, my child? She asked. What are you thinking about? Or do you really not hear me? I speak distinctly enough, however, and I have not yet lost my head, have I? 
Lizaveta was not listening. When she got back to the house, she ran to her room, locked the door, and took the scrap of paper from her glove. It was not sealed, and it was impossible, therefore, not to read it. The letter contained protestations of love. It was tender, respectful, and translated word for word from a German novel. But Lizaveta did not read German, and she was quite delighted. She was, however, much embarrassed. For the first time in her life, she had a secret. Correspond with a young man? The idea of such a thing frightened her. How imprudent had she been? She had reproached herself, but knew not now what to do. Cease to do her work at the window and by persistent coldness try and disgust the young officer? Send him back his letter? Answer him in a firm, decided manner? What line of conduct was she to pursue? She had no friend, no one to advise her. She at last decided to send an answer. She sat down at her little table, took pen and paper, and began to think. More than once, she wrote a sentence and then tore up the paper. What she had written seemed too stiff, or else it was wanting in reserve. At last, after much trouble, she succeeded in composing a few lines which seemed to meet the case. I believe, she wrote, that your intentions are those of an honorable man and that you would not wish to offend me by any thoughtless conduct. But you must understand that our acquaintance cannot begin in this way. I return your letter and trust that you will not give me cause to regret my imprudence. Next day, as soon as Herman made his appearance, Lizaveta left her embroidery and went into the drawing room, opened the ventilator, and threw her letter into the street, making sure that the young officer would pick it up. Herman, in fact, at once saw it, and picking it up, entered a confectioner's shop in order to read it. Finding nothing discouraging in it, he went home sufficiently pleased with the first step in his love adventure. Some days afterwards, a young person with lively eyes called to see Miss Lizaveta on the part of a milliner. Lizaveta wondered what she could want and suspected, as she received her, some secret intention. She was much surprised, however, when she recognized on the letter that was now handed to her the writing of Herman. You make a mistake, she said. This letter is not for me. I beg your pardon, asked the milliner with a slight smile. Be kind enough to read it. Lizaveta glanced at it. Herman was asking for an appointment. Impossible, she cried, alarmed at both the boldness of the request and at the manner in which it was made. This letter is not for me, she repeated, and she tore it into a hundred pieces. If the letter was not for you, why did you tear it up? You should have given it me back that I might take it to the person it was meant for. True, said Lizaveta, quite disconcerted. But bring me no more letters and tell the person who gave you this one that he ought to blush for his conduct. Herman, however, was not a man to give up what he had once undertaken. Every day, Lizaveta received a fresh letter from him, sent now in one way, now in another. They were no longer translated from German. Herman wrote under the influence of a commanding passion and spoke a language which was his own. Lizaveta could not hold out against such torrents of eloquence. 
She received the letters, kept them, and at last answered them. Every day her answers were longer and more affectionate until at last she threw out of the window a letter couched as follows. This evening there is a ball at the embassy. The countess will be there. We shall remain until two in the morning. You may manage to see me alone. As soon as the countess leaves home, that is to say toward 11 o'clock, the servants are sure to go out and there will be no one left but the porter who will be sure to be asleep in his box. Enter as soon as it strikes 11 and go upstairs as fast as possible. If you find anyone in the antechamber, ask whether the countess is at home and you will be told that she is out and in that case, you must resign yourself and go away. In all probability, however, you will meet no one. The countess's women are together in a distant room. When you are once in the antechamber, turn to the left and walk straight on until you reach the countess's bedroom. There, behind a large screen, you will see two doors. The one on the right leads to a dark room. The one on the left leads to a corridor at the end of which is a little winding staircase which leads to my parlor. At 10 o'clock, Herman was already on duty before the Countess's door. It was a frightful night. The winds had been unloosed and the snow was falling in large flakes. The lamps gave an uncertain light. The streets were deserted. From time to time passed the sledge drawn by a wretched hack on the lookout for a fare. Covered by a thick overcoat, Herman felt neither the wind nor the snow. At last, the countess's carriage drew up. He saw two huge footmen come forward and take beneath the arms a dilapidated specter and place it on the cushions well wrapped in an enormous fur cloak. Immediately afterwards, in a cloak of lighter make, her head crowned with natural flowers, came Lizabetta, who sprang into the carriage like a dart. The door was closed and the carriage rolled on softly over the snow. The porter closed the street door and soon the windows of the first floor became dark. Silence reigned throughout the house. Herman walked backwards and forwards, then coming to a lamp, he looked at his watch. It was 20 minutes to 11. Leaning against the lamppost, his eyes fixed on the long hand of his watch, he counted impatiently the minutes which had yet to pass. At 11 o'clock precisely, Herman walked up the steps, pushed open the street door, and went into the vestibule, which was well lighted. As it happened, the porter was not there. With a firm and rapid step, he rushed up the staircase and reached the antechamber. There, before a lamp, a footman was sleeping, stretched out in a dirty, greasy dressing gown. Herman passed quickly before him and crossed the dining room in the drawing room where there was no light. But the lamp of the antechamber helped him to see. At last, he reached the countess's bedroom. Before a screen covered with old icons, sacred pictures, a golden lamp was burning. Gilt armchairs, sofas of faded colors furnished with soft cushions were arranged symmetrically along the walls which were hung with china silk. He saw two large portraits painted by Madame Lebrun. One represented a man of 40, stout and full-colored, dressed in a light green coat with a decoration on his breast. 
The second portrait was that of an elegant young woman with an aquiline nose, powdered hair rolled back to the temples, and with a rose over her ear. Everywhere might be seen shepherds and shepherdesses in Dresden, China, with vases of all shapes, clocks by Leroy, work baskets, fans, and all the thousands of playthings for the use of ladies of fashion discovered in the last century at the time of Montgolfier's balloons and Mesmer's animal magnetism. Herman passed behind the screen, which concealed a little iron bedstead. He saw the two doors, the one on the right leading to the dark room, the one on the left to the corridor. He opened the latter, saw the staircase which led to the poor little companion's parlor, and then, closing this door, went into the dark room. The time passed slowly. Everything was quiet in the house. The drawing room clock struck midnight, and again there was silence. Herman was standing up, leaning against the stove in which there was no fire. He was calm, but his heart beat with quick pulsations like that of a man determined to brave all dangers he might have to meet because he knows them to be inevitable. He heard one o'clock strike, then two, and soon afterwards the distant roll of a carriage. He now, in spite of himself, experienced some emotion. The carriage approached rapidly and stopped. There was at once a great noise of servants running about the staircases and a confusion of voices. Suddenly, the rooms were all lit up and the Countess's three antiquated maids came at once into the bedroom. At last appeared the Countess herself. The walking mummy sank into a large Voltaire armchair. Herman looked through the crack in the door he saw Elizabeth pass close to him and heard her hurried step as she went up the little winding staircase. For a moment, he felt something like remorse, but it soon passed off and his heart was once more of stone. The Countess began to undress before a looking glass. Her headdress of roses was taken off and her powdered wig separated from her own hair, which was very short and quite white. Pins fell in showers around her. At last, she was in her dressing gown and nightcap, and in this costume, more suitable to her age, was less hideous than before. Like most old people, the Countess was tormented by sleeplessness. She had her armchair rolled toward one of the windows and told her maids to leave her. The lights were put out, and the room was lighted only by the lamp which burned before the holy images. The countess, sallow and wrinkled, balanced herself gently from right to left, and her dull eyes could be read in utter absence of thought, and as she moved from side to side, one might have said that she did so not by any action of the will, but through some secret mechanism. Suddenly, this death's head assumed a new expression. The lips ceased to tremble, and the eyes became alive. A strange man had appeared before the Countess. It was Herman. Do not be alarmed, madam, said Herman in a low voice, but very distinctly. For the love of heaven, do not be alarmed. I do not wish to do you the slightest harm. On the contrary, I come to implore a favor of you. The old woman looked at him in silence as if she did not understand. 
Thinking she was deaf, he leaned toward her and repeated what he had said, but the countess still remained silent. You can ensure the happiness of my whole life, and without it costing you a farthing, I know that you can name to me three cards. The countess now understood what he required. It was a joke, she interrupted. I swear to you, it was only a joke. No, madam, replied Herman in an angry tone. Remember Chapalski and how you enabled him to win? The countess was agitated. For a moment, her features expressed strong emotion, but they soon resumed their former dullness. Cannot you name to me, said Herman, three winning cards? The countess remained silent. Why keep this secret for your great-grandchildren, he continued. They are rich enough without. They do not know the value of money. Of what profit would your three cards be to them? They are debauchees. The man who could not keep his inheritance will die in want, though he had the science of demons at his command. I am a steady man. I know the value of money. Your three cards will not be lost upon me. Come. He stopped tremblingly, awaiting a reply. The countess did not utter a word. Herman went upon his knees. If your heart has ever known the passion of love, if you can remember its sweet ecstasies, if you pave ever been touched by the cry of a newborn babe, if any human feeling has ever caused your heart to beat, I entreat you by the love of a husband, a lover, a mother, by all that is sacred in life, not to reject my prayer. Tell me your secret. Reflect. You're old. You paved not long to live. Remember that the happiness of a man is in your hands. That not only myself, but my children and my grandchildren will bless your memory as a saint. The old countess answered not a word. Herman rose and drew a pistol from his pocket. Hag, he exclaimed. I will make you speak. At the sight of the pistol, the countess for the second time showed agitation. Her head shook violently. She stretched out her hands as if to put the weapon aside. Then suddenly, she fell back motionless. Come, don't be childish, said Herman. I adjure you for the last time. Will you name the three cards? The countess did not answer. Herman saw that she was dead. Chapter 4 Lizaveta was sitting in her room, still in her ball dress, lost in the deepest meditation. On her return to the house, she had sent away her maid and had gone upstairs to her room, trembling at the idea of finding Herman there, desiring indeed not to find him. One glance showed her that he was not there, and she gave thanks to the providence that he had missed the appointment. She sat down pensively without thinking of taking off her cloak and allowed to pass through her memory all of the circumstances of the intrigue which had begun such a short time back and had already advanced so far. Scarcely three weeks had passed since she had first seen the young officer from her window and already she had written to him and he had succeeded in inducing her to make an appointment. She knew his name and that was all. She had received a quantity of letters from him, but he had never spoken to her. 
She did not know the sound of his voice, and until that evening, strangely enough, she had never heard him spoken of. But that very evening, Tomsky, fancying he had noticed that the young Princess Pauline, to whom he had been paying assiduous court, was flirting, contrary to her custom, with another man, had wished to revenge himself by making a show of indifference. With this noble object, he invited Lizabetta to take part in an interminable mazurka, but he teased her immensely about her partiality for engineer officers and pretending all the time to know much more than he really did, hazarded purely in fun a few guesses which were so happy that Lizabetta thought her secret must have been discovered. But who tells you all this, she said with a smile. A friend of the very officer you know, a most original man. And who is this man that is so original? His name is Herman. She answered nothing, but her hands and feet seemed to be of ice. Herman is a hero of romance, continued Tomsky. He has the profile of Napoleon and the soul of Mephistopheles. I believe he has at least three crimes on his conscience. But how pale you are. I have a bad headache. But what did this Mr. Herman tell you? Is not that his name? Herman is very much displeased with his friend, with the engineer officer who has made your acquaintance. He says that in his place he would behave very differently, but I am quite sure that Herman himself has designs upon you. At least he seems to listen with remarkable interest to all that his friends tell him about you. And where has he seen me? Perhaps in church? Perhaps in the street? Heaven knows where. At this moment, three ladies came forward, according to the custom of the mazurka, and asked Tomsky to choose between forgetfulness and regret. And the conversation which had so painfully excited the curiosity of Lizaveta came to an end. The lady who, in virtue of the infidelities permitted by the mazurka, had just been chosen by Tomsky was the Princess Pauline. During the rapid evolutions which the figure obliged them to make, there was a grand explanation between them, until at last he conducted her to a chair and returned to his partner. But Tomsky could now think no more either of Herman or Elizabetta, and he tried in vain to resume the conversation. But the mazurka was coming to an end, and immediately afterwards, the old countess rose to go. Tomsky's mysterious phrases were nothing more than the usual platitudes of the mazurka, but they had made a deep impression upon the heart of the poor little companion. The portrait sketched by Tomsky had struck her as very exact, and with her romantic ideas, she saw in the rather ordinary countenance of her adorer something to fear and admire. She was now sitting down with her cloak off, with bare shoulders, her head crowned with flowers falling forward from fatigue, when suddenly the door opened and Herman entered. She shuddered. Where were you? She said, trembling all over. In the Countess's bedroom. I have just left her, replied Herman. She is dead. Great heavens, what are you saying? I am afraid, he said, that I am the cause of her death. Lizavetta looked at him in consternation and remembered Tomsky's words. 
he has at least three crimes on his conscience. Herman sat down by the window and told everything. The young girl listened with terror. So those letters so full of passion, those burning expressions, this daring, obstinate pursuit, all this had been inspired by anything but love? Money alone had inflamed the man's soul. She who had nothing but a heart to offer, how could she make him happy? Poor child, she had been the blind instrument of a robber, of the murderer of her old benefactress. She wept bitterly in the agony of her repentance. Herman watched her in silence, but neither the tears of the unhappy girl nor her beauty, rendered more touching by her grief, could move his heart of iron. He had no remorse in thinking of the countess's death. One soul thought distressed him, the irreparable loss of the secret which was to have made his fortune. You are a monster, said Lizaveta after a long silence. I did not mean to kill her, replied Herman coldly. My pistol was not loaded. They remained for some time without speaking, without looking at one another. The day was breaking, and Lizaveta put out her candle. She wiped her eyes, drowned in tears, and raised them towards Herman. He was standing close to the window, his arms crossed with a frown on his forehead. In this attitude, he reminded her involuntarily of the portrait of Napoleon. The resemblance overwhelmed her. How am I to get you away, she said at last. I thought you might go out by the back stairs, but it would be necessary to go through the countess's bedroom, and I am too frightened. Tell me how to get to the staircase, and I will go alone. She went to a drawer, took out a key, which she handed to Herman, and gave him the necessary instructions. Herman took her icy hand, kissed her on the forehead, and departed. He went down the staircase and entered the countess's bedroom. She was seated quite stiff in her armchair, but her features were in no way contracted. He stopped for a moment and gazed into her face as if to make sure of the terrible reality. Then he entered the dark room and, feeling behind the tapestry, found the little door which opened onto a staircase. As he went down it, strange ideas came into his head. Going down this staircase, he said to himself, some sixty years ago, at about this time, may have been seen some man in an embroidered coat with a powdered wig, pressing to his breast a cocked hat, some gallant who had been long buried, and now the heart of his aged mistress has ceased to beat. At the end of the staircase, he found another door which his key opened, and he found himself in the corridor which led to the street. Are you still up? Girl, good night. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.